Please be seated. We come here because we need our Savior. Amen. And hopefully every one of us understand that, that we need him, do desperately need him each and every day in our lives. Uh, it's always good to be reminded of that as we worship him. If you have your Bibles, take out and turn to the book of Philemon. We're going to be studying the book of Philemon. We're going to start a new series called Hope of Reconciliation. Hope of Reconciliation. I believe this will be a very powerful series for us that will convict us and motivate us to be the people that Jesus wants us to be. First, to be reconciled to him. Amen. But to be reconciled to others, which God wants for us in our lives. You will find the book of Philemon on one page. Okay. It's one page. It's between the book of Titus and the book of Hebrews. It's kind of squeezed in there. If you don't, we usually don't turn there very often. So it might be sticking together. So you might have to pull those pages apart, right? We hear those sticky pages come apart to the book of Philemon. Hopefully you find it. And let me tell you a little bit about the book. The apostle Paul wrote the book, and most people believe it was during his Roman imprisonment. It was around 62 AD. So it was 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. He wrote four epistles or letters while he was in that imprisonment. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon. Uh, all three of those are just, all, all of them are just letters. Three of those letters are written to churches. One of those letters, the book of Philemon, was written to an individual, right? Let me introduce you to the three main characters. You're, you're, you see there's two other characters that are mentioned in the early verse, which is Aphi and Archippus. But the three main characters, let me share them with you because they're very important in this book. The first character is the Apostle Paul. And you know a little bit about him, right? He wrote 13 of the New Testament books, so you know a little bit about him. He was a persecutor of, of Christians. He was a really smart man in the law. He had advanced degrees and everything, but he was a persecutor of Christians. In Acts chapter 7, it actually tells us that he oversaw the martyrdom of the first martyr, Stephen, right? But I believe that's when God imprinted the gospel message upon the Apostle Paul, because we read about on the road to Damascus. We read that about that in Acts chapter 9, chapter, Acts chapter 22, and Acts chapter 26, that it, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that day, uh, Saul was saved, and it changed his life. It was never the same again. It was absolutely incredible. After some training, God called Paul to be an, an apostle, first to the Jews, but primarily to the Gentiles he was sent to. Uh, he was an evangelist. He was a church planter. And Paul was a man who was on fire for Jesus. If you ever saw a man who was on fire for Jesus, it would be the apostle Paul. He was on fire for him. I want to introduce you to another man by the name, one of the other characters, a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon is who this book is written to. Uh, his name is on it. But Philemon was a very wealthy man. Uh, he had slave. He was slave owner during the first century. He lived in the area probably Classy, which was probably 100 miles east of Ephesus. Remember, Paul spent quite a bit of time in Ephesus. It was probably during that time where Paul had this ministry to Philemon and his family. Philemon came to know Jesus. He loved the Lord. And these two men, Paul and Philemon were, were bonded. They, had, they loved each other. They had this deep relationship. And perhaps it's suggested that Philemon probably supported Paul's ministry financially, uh, him planting churches and evangelizing the Gentiles. There's a third man I want to introduce you to. is a man by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. Uh, I want us all to say that together so we get to know that name, Onesimus. So let's say it. One, two, three. Onesimus. Hey, very good. Very good. Onesimus. 
We're going to be hearing that name quite a bit in the next couple of weeks. This series, I didn't say it's about a four-week series, including this message. But Onesimus was a slave. He worked for Philemon, but there was a time in his life where he ran away from Philemon, and in the process of doing that, he stole some things. And he found himself probably trying to go to the largest city in Rome uh, to hide in the Roman Empire. A thousand miles away is where he runs to Rome. And that's how the story unfolds. What happens is Onesimus probably gone to Rome to get lost in the city so no one can find him. He, he, in the providence of God, he finds him alongside in prison cell next to, guess who? The, the apostle Paul. What are the chances of that happening? What are the chances of it happening that he goes to hide in this big city of Rome, the biggest city of that time to Rome and the Roman Empire, and he ends up running across the guy in the cell that's next to him, perhaps, that knows the guy that he's running from, Philemon. What is the chances of that happening? But you know, if you know God, God's ways are not our ways, right? The, the Bible tells us. And I don't know how many times over the years I've been amazed at the sovereignty of God and how God has worked. He works out his will in our lives in ways way beyond our understanding. We don't know how, what God is doing, but God works out his ways and his will and his purpose in our life. And we don't understand how he does all, it all, but he does. Romans chapter 11, verse 34 through 36 says this. Paul writes, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen, is what he writes. Teach one of your stories, how God has worked in your life. You saw the hand of God of kind of woven things together by bringing people, circumstances, and places and things in your life to work out his will, his purpose, his plan for your life. That's the sovereignty of God at work in your lives. That's how God works. And we see Onesimus runs a thousand miles to get away from Philemon, to run to the guy who's really good friends with the guy he's running from, Philemon, right? What are the chances of that happening? Onesimus comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, Onesimus has now become a spiritual son to me. They've become very close. And now Paul is challenged with, how do I reconcile this man? How do I reconcile him? The man who is now a brother, who's a runaway slave, to my good friend Philemon. He's got to reconcile them. He's got to bring restitution. How can I do this is what he's thinking. When I think of reconciliation, this is not a theoretical discussion we're just having because God has created man to live in harmony. He's created man to live in community. He's created man to live in peace, has he not? He wants us to live together in this community that, that he's given to us. But ever since the fall, the fall has affected our ability to know ourselves really well. The fall has affected our ability to really to relate to others well. So we're constantly hiding our imperfections while we're hurling those imperfections at others, right? And we're hurting people. And we're causing all kinds of conflict. And we don't know how to deal with that conflict and our brokenness and our sinfulness. So there's all this unrest in our lives. And all of us have it as we look in our lives. We look at it all through those years. Look at the unrest that has come because of the conflict and all those things that have happened in our lives. We see it in Washington, D.C. today, don't we? The unrest, people dig their heels in and we're not giving in to this, we're not giving in to that one, and people dig their heels in. Maybe you found it in your own family that you have that unrest, that uh, disagreements. Maybe you found in family reunions are, are very painful for you to go to. You say that, that if I have to go, if I have to go to that family reunion, I'm leaving early, right? As soon as I can get out of there, I'm out of there, just as long as everyone sees me and then I'm gone. 
And I hope and I pray that there's not another incident like it was last year. And so is there, is there a way to deal with that? I, I think so. I, I believe so, and I know so. Have you found the book of Philemon yet? Has everyone found it? You found it? You found it as you open up your book there? Before we get into this letter, though, I want to share with you. Let me speak about the limits of secular friendships that we have today. And there's always a limit of secular friendship. And what I mean by secular friendship is someone that doesn't know Christ. If we're a believer, we know Christ. We have friends with someone that doesn't know Christ. There will always be a limit to that friendship that we can have. It'd be a limit of how we can, the scope of reconciliation we could have with that person, actually. There are biblical ways and unbiblical ways of dealing with conflict resolution, of trying to bring reconciliation. Most of us know the unbiblical way, even though we know Jesus, even though we know the Bible. We've seen it. We've all used them, right? The unbiblical way of trying to bring reconciliation, trying to bring restitution. Let me just mention a few. Almost to say that if you're using one of these, give up. If you're not using one of these, don't, don't, right? The first one, the unbiblical way. These are unbiblical ways of trying to bring reconciliation in our life, restitution in our life with others. If there's a conflict, one of the ways that we do, the pathways go, the first one is we're going to war. We're going to war. Many people use that. We're going to war. You, you got to win. We've got this understanding. You've taken a different position than I have. So we're going to go to war and I'm going to win is what we say. And there's going to be some blood spilled. You want mine, I want yours, but I, we're going to go to war. And sometimes in that conflict, harsh words can be said. Sometimes in that conflict, vulgar words can be said. And sometimes in that conflict, no words are said. In marital relationships, and we often see this happens, where the silent treatment is used as kind of warfare tactic to try to bring the other person to the table. That seldom ever works, that silent treatment. One person said, silence isn't gold, it's yellow. Because they don't want to face what's going on. And that's what many times what happens. It's a fear rather than dealing with the issue, we go to war. But if we go to war, and if you win, you often, oftentimes lose that relationship. More times than not, you're going to lose that relationship if you go to war. The second option is we walk away. Maybe, and people use this all the time, maybe I can't deal with this anymore. Maybe you're saying, I can't deal with this again. I'm not too optimistic. It didn't work before, and it's not going to work again, you say. And you hear people say this, and, and it always surprises me when people say this. They say, when they're dealing with someone they're not getting along with, I'm not dealing with normal. You ever hear somebody say that? They don't think the way I think. They don't think logically. They think different. So I'm not dealing with normal. So it's hard for me to, to reconcile this. Hard for me to talk with them. The problem with walking away is we're throwing that relationship away. And those relationships are people, are with people who are made in the image of God. And that's the problem. And God has placed us together, perhaps in marriage, Perhaps with the same last name, you can't change families. You just can't walk away. So you try all kinds of things to make it work, right? So you try to find the grace of God to deal with the situation. You try to find the grace of God to resolve the conflict, to bring restitution, to bring reconciliation. And that's what you want. It's to restore that relationship, right? You try to do everything you can. But, uh, but instead of walking away. The third option that many times we use is we try to make the best of it. In other words, we're not dealing with the issues still. We're just trying to make the best of it. We know there are topics that we can't, we can't talk about, so we're not going to talk about them. Thanksgiving is coming up and say, hey, these are the three topics. Stay away from them. Don't talk about these three topics because if we do, my family will just explode. It will be all kinds of argument. So you make the best of it. Is this resonating with anyone? Does it make, make sense? Is it resonating with you? Let me give you a couple more. 
The fourth option, you say, is duty. You say, I'm supposed to love you. I'm going to love you because God wants me to love you, and I love God. And so I'm going to love you, but I really don't like you. You hear that one? We're, we're, we're in this relationship. We're in a business partnership. We're in this together. We're going to make it work because I've signed the contract. I don't like it, and I don't like you. But we're going to make this work. We're going to try to make it work out of duty. Duty doesn't work. Duty doesn't resolve. Duty doesn't reconcile. It does not bring reconciliation. It never will. The fifth option, there's many other options that people give, but the fifth option is we pretend. We like to pretend. All of us like to pretend. Uh, pretend, we say, maybe you experienced this in your life, that someone comes up to you and say, you know, a couple weeks ago, I said something to you that I know had to hurt you deeply. And I just need to ask, need to apologize. And, and will you please forgive me for what I said? And you respond saying, what? What did you say? No, I, I wasn't hurt. No, no, it didn't bother me at all. Don't worry about it. And what'd you say? I don't even know what it is. When you know that deep down, it really did hurt you, right? Really wounded you. And matter of fact, uh, your spouse knew that it hurt you. Your children knew that it hurt you. Your dog knew it hurt you. Everyone knew how, how hurt you were about it. You couldn't sleep at night. It kept you up. So minimizing the pain in order for reconciliation to take place doesn't work. Forgiveness has to happen. But in order for forgiveness to happen, there has to be a release of emotions and feelings. So that presupposes we have to be honest. There has to be honesty in there, right? So we can have this reconciliation. Say, yes, I'm hurt. You, you hurt me, but I accept your apology. So let's move on from this is what we have to say. Owe up to it. Be honest. Yes, it really did hurt me what you said, but be honesty. We have to have honesty in there. Those are some of the wrong ways of dealing with uh, conflict that we have in our lives. If you try those approaches, normally it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. If you try those, they do not work. It doesn't solve the problem. It just exasperates it, just prolongs it. And many times, more times than not, it makes it worse. Let me share with you this morning from the book of Philemon in, in this series, uh, a different and better way that I, I think we can find. Uh, the freedom of a sacred fellowship where it's something we can have deeper that God wants us to have that we can build on from this. And um, as I say, if it's not two believers together, that kind of scope we're going to have, that sacred friendship, we can't be as close as two people who know Christ together. And I'll share that in just a moment. We're never going to have that scope of reconciliation that we can have with two people who know Jesus. We just can't have that. We'll see that in a moment. I'm going to read reading verses 8 through 21 this morning. And notice how the Apostle Paul approaches, the approach that he takes here. He's an apostle, and he's writing to a friend. And, and, and the letter could have gone, before I read this, I want to share, I kind of wrote down, the letter could have gone something like this. The Apostle Paul could have wrote, Dear Philemon, long time no see. Uh, I'm in prison now. Guess what's happened? I ran into a man that who knows you is a friend of yours named Onesimus. Uh, my understanding that he ran from you and he stole from you. But you need to know that Onesimus now had come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. You need to find a way to take him back and make this right. Because he's a brother, I'm a brother, and you're a brother in Christ. And, and you need to make it happen. Because I'm an apostle and you're not, so do it. Love Paul. He could have wrote it like that, right? He could have wrote that. He had the authority to write it like that. Well, you will see in a moment that wasn't Paul's tone at all as he writes this. As he writes this letter, he approaches it so much differently. As a friend talking to a friend, not demanding anything. He doesn't demand anything. Yet, yet in these verses, 
will become primer for persuasion. They're so persuasive, this, this conversation, this letter that he sends to Philemon. Let's read it, verse eight, verses 8 through 21. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while he was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favors you will, you will, be, you will do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Is that persuasive or what? Very persuasive. It's loaded with relationship. It's loaded with responsibility is what Paul has given us. All kinds of things. He's, he's persuading him. Because of this relationship, there's responsibility. And he's sharing that with him. So I want to give you two appeals for reconciliation. If you have your outlines together. He is saying to him, he, he first appeals to him the way we need to appeal to others. On the basis of your brotherhood or sisterhood. On the basis of our, we're in Christ together. That's his appeal. That we're in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. Is how he's appealing. He appeals to them on this basis, the fact there's a debt that has to be paid, he says. There's a debt that has to be paid. He's done you wrong. There's a debt that has to be paid. So restitution has to be made is what he's saying. And the Paul, the reconciler, standing between the both of them, a brother to both of them, to Philemon and Onesimus, and say, whatever the cost is, let me know. He says, I'll pay it, whatever the cost. Whatever it's going to take to bring you two together, I'll pay that cost. Charge it to me is what he's saying. So there's a cost to be a reconciler. If you've ever tried to reconcile two people together, you know there's a cost, right? If you had that, it's sometimes trying to bring two parties together, sometimes they turn on you and they attack you. They think you're the enemy and they attack you. I've had that happen, trying to work two people together and all of a sudden they, they look at you and you're asking questions about them and all of a sudden they get upset with you and they turn on you instead of, instead of trying to work it out. And it happens. And I don't know if it's happened to you, but when you look at that and you get attacked by others, when you're trying to bring them together, doing a good thing, uh, trying to bring them in the grace of God, uh, is it worth it? You say, is it worth it? Is it worth bringing two people together? Is it worth doing that? And let me say, yes, it's worth it. It's always worth it to be a conduit of God's grace. When you and I can be that conduit of God's grace of bringing two warring parties together, to find the grace of God in that, in, inside our lives, on the basis of the partnership with Jesus. Define that reconciliation. It's always worth it if we can do that. God will give us the grace. Even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out, it's always worth to try it, right? Paul says, I'll pay the cost. Charge it to my account is what he says. Jesus was a reconciler too, wasn't he? Between God and man who had 
become enemies of God. Jesus reconciled us. He brought us together by his shed blood on the cross, right? He made peace between us and God. He reconciled us, right? And as we came to God through Jesus Christ, he now says to us as followers of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, now you have the responsibility as a follower of Jesus, a minister of reconciliation to bring people to the Savior is what he tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. And many of you are doing that. Many of you are doing that by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. And what are you doing? You're reconciling people, right? You're, you're reconciling people to their God, to Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. Ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling people to God, their God, their creator, through Jesus Christ by telling about Jesus. And you're bringing him. You have this ministry that God calls us a ministry of reconciliation, that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, all of us are called to be that, to reconcile people to Jesus, but also to reconcile between others. That's what we're called, ministry of reconciliation. Not only just vertical, but horizontal. Jesus came to bring reconciliation between God and between others. He broke down the walls and the barriers. I want you to notice as well as his appeal, and number two, he appealed to them. Uh, number two, on the basis of a deep sense of shared partnership. He talks about this partnership that we have. In verse 17, he says, If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. The word partner comes from a Greek word that you know, probably already heard about, called koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. It's more that fellowship he's talking about is more than coffee and donuts. It's not about coffee and donuts, right? It, it means we share a lot together. It means in this context that we're partners together. We're in the same family. We're all brothers and sisters together. We share Jesus together. We still, we have the same spirit together. We have the same eternal life together. And he says, therefore, this is the basis which this reconciliation can take place because we have these things in common. It's all on this foundation of Jesus that we have this. We have the same spirit, same eternal life, same family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because of this, we can have this reconciliation that he's talking about, that we can build upon. It doesn't mean it's not going to involve work. It doesn't mean it's going to come very easy. It doesn't mean that some situations aren't complex. They really are. I'm not trying to uh, make it light, light of people trying to reconcile. It's difficult. It's hard work. And sometimes it doesn't happen. But it's always difficult. It certainly doesn't mean that while you're pushing for reconciliation to change the life of another person on their side. God has to do what only God can do, right? God has to do what we cannot do. Only thing we can do is desire to have reconciliation. I can change my heart and ask God to change my heart, but I cannot change someone else's heart, right? That has to be, God has to do that. So we have to allow God to do what only God can do. But I have to be willing to do it, God, on my part. Okay, I'm ready to reconcile, but God, you got to work on their part, right? Exactly, right? We understand that. But we all have to be willing to do that. One of the things you find that most conflicts have, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of anger. That's what's in conflict is anger. You, you find that when I imagine the morning that Philemon woke up and, and he's doing a task and he needs Onesimus and, and he says, hey, go get Onesimus to help me with this task. And somebody comes back and says, Onesimus is not here. He left. And by the way, we're missing some things and we believe that Onesimus, Onesimus took them. Philemon had to be filled with anger that I helped this guy and all these kind of things. And now this guy's left and he stole from me, right? And then on the part of Onesimus, there has to be a lot of anger in his own heart to think that you treat me as property, that I'm a bond slave, but I'm a person. 
And as he's running, maybe as he's running, he's wondering, is Philemon going to catch me? And is he going to take me back there? And then I'll be that piece of property again. There has to be a lot of anger in his heart, right? All kinds of anger has to be in Philemon's heart and Onesimus' heart. And Paul doesn't address that in the book of Philemon. I wonder why, but he doesn't address it at all. But what he does address, which is very important for us to notice, he appeals to you on the basis of faith and love. The reason you do this is because of faith and love. And he says to Philemon, whatever Onesimus owes you, he says, I'll pay it. Charge it to me. Charge it to my account. Because he's a brother now, and if you consider me a partner, he's a partner too, just like me. So let's make this right. Let's make this right. Let's bring restitution. We've got to make this work. In 2016, we were experiencing a horrible summer in the United States. Unrest in Ferguson, Baltimore, Milwaukee. Men were being shot. Policemen were being shot. The nation was divided. People were shouting, shouting all kinds of things. Blue lives matter, black lives matter, all lives matter. Uh, there were five police officers that were shot in Dallas. We still see that going on today. People being shot. People divided. And now we have an election coming up in two days, the midterms, and one side and the other side. If you win, there's going to be rioting. And if they win, there's going to be rioting and chaos. We see divisions amongst us and division in, in our country over what party, who's going to win in all this. And I want to remind you of what we talked about in our series last time, when we talked about the beginnings, that Satan comes to destroy relationships. Satan comes to divide us. He's the one that divides us. He's the enemy. And he's always trying to divide us, to break up relationships. That's what he did with Adam in the garden when Adam sinned. It severed his relationship with God. It affected his relationship with his wife, Eve. It affected his relationship even of himself and even with creation. But praise God, the Bible tells us, that Jesus comes to reconcile those broken relationships, right? Because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to God. And because of Jesus, we can be reconciled to others. Sometimes we don't like to look at that, but we can. We can be reconciled to others. In the book of Philemon, Paul appeals to him through love and faith. Because we have this love and we have this faith. He said, all things are possible. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that we are compelled by love. That's why we reconcile. Because of this love that we have from God, we can reconcile with others. No matter what they've done, we are able to reconcile. And sometimes it feels easier, I know, just to walk away. It's so much easier just to walk away. But I've learned that God gets more glory when relationships are restored than when they are severed. Let me say that again. That God gets more glory when the relationships are restored than when they are severed, right? And hopefully you, you understand that. But it all has to start with our reconciliation with God. That's the beginning of all this. That's what we have to start out with in today's message, that we're reconciled to God. If we're not reconciled to God, that's where we have to begin. We have to be reconciled to God. You can't earn your way to heaven. We can't decide, I'll just get to heaven on my own. The only way to get to God the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins, right? Amen? That he, that he died for us and, and paid the full payment for all of my sins, past, present, and future. And I have to come to him and say, I know that I'm a sinner. And know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today I accept the work that Jesus did on the cross for me. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And when you do that, you've been reconciled to God now through Jesus. Jesus provided the way. 
but we have to receive what Jesus did by faith, right? We've got to accept that. And hopefully you've done that. If you've not done that, please do that today, right now. If you still have questions about that, please come and see me after the service. How you can be reconciled to God through Jesus. I would love to talk to you about that. And seriously, come on to me. I know I'm standing up here and sometimes I can look, this guy kind of shouts. He's kind of loud. He's kind of intimidating. But come up and talk to me. I'm not that way in person, right? Agree with me, right? I'm not that way, right? Some of you don't look too hopeful in that. But I'm not that way. But you can come up and talk to me, and I would love to talk to you about Jesus. My favorite topic to talk about. For all of us who know Jesus, for all of us, since most of you here, this week, I'm asking you to meditate on this, this passage in Philemon, verses 8 through 21, to meditate on it, but also to meditate and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 through 21. Please do that. Read that. Read it as often as you can. And allow the Holy Spirit give you the heart of reconciliation, no matter where you're at. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking you to do. To be reconciled to others. Of course, we're reconciled to God, that we might be reconciled to others, and we might be one who reconciles other people together, right? That God might use us that way. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in our hearts. Let's not throw up our hands and say, no, no way. Let's not be those type of people. But this morning, all I'm asking you to do this morning is to surrender to God. Say, God, I'm open. My heart is open to reconciliation. Now, if God is moving you right now to reconcile, that you need to make it right with somebody, please do that. I don't want to hinder you doing that. But I'm not asking you to do that this morning right now. I'm hoping it's going to lead you. I'm hoping this morning that you would just have a heart and say, I'm ready to surrender to God, and I'm open to be of that ministry of reconciliation, to be reconciled to someone else that I'm in conflict with, or that I might be used to reconcile two parties together. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, that's your first. You've got to be reconciled to God the Father. That's the most important. If you're not reconciled to God the Father, it's very hard to have a minister reconciliation with other people, right? You can't do it. You're not going to have that reconciliation that God wants. But we have to surrender to Him to do this. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Surrender, okay? Let's take that step. And the next couple messages as you come, we'll start learning how to be reconciled to others. But that's all I'm asking, to pray about it. Because we can't jump into this. We can't just, can't. you need to do this. We need to see why we need to do this. We need to look at this passage of Scripture of Philemon and Onesimus, who had a lot of anger at each other, how God is able to work that out and bring them together to the apostle Paul, using him. Okay, amen? So let's just pray to surrender our hearts to God. The next song will lead us into doing it, okay? So let's just pray this morning. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much, God, that you sent your son, Jesus, to reconcile us to you through his shed blood upon the cross. Without Jesus, Lord, there would be no hope of reconciliation with you. Without Jesus, there would be no true hope of being reconciled to others. So, Lord, we come with, with uh, humbled hearts. We come with tender hearts, the Holy Spirit, to surrender to you and say, Lord, uh, Maybe we have a conflict, a major conflict with someone. Maybe we've got this anger, and it might even build up to hate to someone. That, Lord, you might tender our hearts this morning. The way that you, we see in the New Testament, the book of Philemon, the way you tend to the hearts of Philemon and Onesimus. Lord, there was anger there. Hurt by one another. Their actions hurt them. And now they come to this point, Lord, where Paul is... You're using Paul to bring those two parties together to reconcile. But Lord, for Onesimus to ever to go with this letter, to, to come to Philemon, to be reconciled, uh, Lord, a lot of work had to be done in his heart. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, as much as this man was probably anger, Lord, somehow, Lord, you tendered, her, tendered his heart toward reconciliation. And you used this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon to tender his heart toward reconciliation. Lord, I pray that same tenderness, the same soft in our hearts would happen in our lives right now. The same Holy Spirit that did it in their lives, the same Holy Spirit can do in our lives right now. If we really let him, if we really yield and surrender our hearts to you, we ask you to take that hammer and, and break that hard heart. Break that hard mind that says no and soften it. Soften it and tenderize it, Lord, for, for you use for your glory. Whatever it may be, that we'd be open to whatever you might have us to do, Lord. Whatever you might want us to do, that our hearts and minds would be open to you this morning, this week, the coming weeks, the months, through the holidays that you might use this as a wonderful time in our life to bring restitution, to bring reconciliation, to restore, to restore. And that's what we're praying. That's what we're hoping for. The hope of reconciliation in our lives through this series, Lord. Lord, this is a, can be very convicting, can be very difficult for us during this time. But Lord, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd bring us to a place, Lord, where we can surrender it all to you. The anger, the conflict, everything. Throw up our arms and say, God, I surrender to you and I'll trust you with the situation. And whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. So Lord, we give you all the glory and the praise. Without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus, all this would be impossible. Without your power, Lord, and your strength, we cannot do this. Give us the boldness, Lord, to face our conflicts, to face those things that are difficult, and to surrender them to you. And give us the, the heart to grace and mercy and forgiveness. And be willing to humble ourselves to ask others for forgiveness for what we have done to them. Lord, help us to be honest and open in our feelings and emotions as we go through this. Let us get them out before you, whatever they may be, but help us to deal with them and humble, humbly come before you. As we sing this next song, I Surrender. May you be glorified, Lord, in our hearts, our motives, and our thoughts this morning as we surrender to you. And Lord, we ask these things in that name of Jesus, that powerful name, and through the one who brings reconciliation reconciles us through Jesus' name. Amen.